Welcome to a brand new episode of Podcast Maximus, hosted for you today by the Transformers fandom equivalent of Rod Jane of Freddy. Joining me is Rod, or Rodimus, Marion. Hi. Jane, or Jaxus, Tom. I don't know what any of this means. Go with it, go with it. It's a good thing. (laughs) And uh, Freddy, or Fizzle, who is of course the best one, uh, myself, Stuart Webb. Hooray! You've never lived, you two. <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, today we're going to talk about uh, the latest arc in the Transformers Volume 3. No subtitle, but we always call it Robots in Disguise. Uh, the Conqueror's arc and the issue immediately preceding it. Because it's just wrapped up. It's just wrapped up. Indeed, it's sort of a, a very much a, a flowing story it's sort of been picked up from the was it two issues previously and it's obviously into uh, all hail optimus but we're going to look specifically at conquerors uh today yeah it's a bit hard uh, to find the start of this i i was arguing for 43 but for brevity we're gonna go from 45 is it 46 46, 46. don't make us read more you want to make us read more issues <laughs> okay so Marion, you have told us that you are the uh, the world's biggest Robots in Disguise fan. <laughs> I understand you love it nearly as much as you love Getaway. <laughs> um, yes, I, I like Robots in Disguise. I, I think it's it's you know it's full of action. There's lots of things going on. There's lots of characters. I yeah. How about you? I enjoy Robots in Disguise. I think it's got some. I think it contains really strong bits and pieces. I've become kind of fascinated by John Barber as a sort of psychological entity, uh, having had no actual real-world contact with him and just trying to discern who he is through his writing. Uh, I've got a lot of admiration for the way he works, but I don't feel the story hangs together very well, even though it has some incredible highlights. Well, I, uh, I like a lot of Robots in Disguise, uh, mainly the earlier stuff, I have to say, uh, the first year or so before Dark Cybertron came and dumped in its pool like some sort of giant rock throughout space. I think it's been a bit more hit and miss since then, and uh, this storyline has been mainly missed for me. And I, wanna, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, what we're going to say, but uh, for me, this has been mainly a miss uh, story arc. Fair dues, fair dues. Oh, uh, one thing I, I want to say before we uh, get to the issues itself uh, is about the titles. Ah. Uh, so I think this may be something you have something to say about, Tom, because three out of the four issues use astronomical terms for their title. Uh, do you feel they're appropriate to the, to the content as an expert? Yes. I am not an expert in astronomy or astrophysics, so uh, I have learned all this stuff from from oh. Kerbal Space Program rather than anything else uh, I feel that they are appropriate metaphors well used it, it reminds me uh, possibly even deliberately because it's uh, quite an, uh, an obscurish sort of thing to do but it reminds me of the uh, the final ten part story of uh, Star Trek 
Deep Space Nine, where they started off doing the episode titles in a similar way. It was like a, eclipses, uh, terms for lunar eclipses they were using, uh, Umbria and stuff. That's what I totally mispronounced. But uh, uh, they did it for like two episodes, and then they realised they were keeping keep track of what the titles actually were, because nobody knew what the words meant. So they very quickly stopped doing that for the other eight episodes. Well, I approve of that. I approve of using a uh, uh, yeah a scientific term to coax some coax some kind of metaphorical weight out of a, an episode of serial fiction. Yeah, has my vote. They're on so, my good side immediately. So why don't we tell our dear listeners what they actually mean? Yeah, Tom. Oh, just well, I got, I'll need some sort of list of what they're called. We've got oh, a, a feely on here. Um, I, think, I believe that's a path. Passage of an object across the sun? It's the point at which it's furthest from the sun. Then perihelion's ah, the opposite. There you go. So it's like, it's it's like old, apogee. But the um, third part uh, uses the German word for hero. Oh, Helden. Oh, yeah, that's not very spacey. Unless it is. I don't know. <laughs> I like it. There are no heroes in space. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's just dust in space. Right, so uh, it starts there, this storyline. Pick it up from... Uh, uh, what will become a recurring trope of it is that you have Gene B. Blackrock sat in a room telling Spike the entire history of everything, uh, whilst the Autobots are on the Ark being attacked and just sort of sitting there trapped. Uh, I can't quite recall how many issues that had already been going on for, but it is a, a quite a long-lasting plotline where not much happens. It certainly it- carries on across a lot of this uh, arc as well. Um, it's quite exciting when it happens because uh, Black Rot's I, I think it happens in 45 Black Rot's in the room with Spike and then he presses a button and the the Ark is about to fight off the Ramjet combiners and, um, and then it all goes to hell it's quite it's quite a cool cliffhangery moment Cup's beaten up Jack just has his arm ripped off again and Black Rock's just like ah they'll be fine and but then yeah you have like half a year of seeing that play out of them all being fine i i just want to say up front because i think this uh black rot spike um scene mega scene is going to get a lot of stick uh in in the podcast to come i just want to say how incredibly irritated i am by ancient alien stick yeah that's sort of chariots of the gods stuff you mean yeah yeah it's it's I, I, it's it, it inches into bearability here because I quite like the way Black Rock is written as like ah funny guy, but of course like you everybody's doubting him, but of course he's going to be correct because this is Transformers and they're throwing in a load of terminology from Prime, and he's basically playing the part of the baddie from the fourth movie, who I think would have been better cast in this as a character actually. Which part? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're Stanley right. Stanley Tucci. Is. Yeah, he is. Oh, is that, was he not the bloke from the first three films, Stanley Tucci? Am I getting my actor names? Is that it? John Turturro? Yeah, oh, you mean the, the guy who basically was Blackrock. He wasn't a villain by the end. He turned out to be a nice man. That's that's where you confused me. He destroyed half of China by accident. <laughs> I don't know where I got the idea from the end of this issue from. But, uh, yeah, he was a nice man. He was going to help out Marky Mark from his troubles, assuming he didn't just get shot in the head by the Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think we are doing it a disservice, though, by comparing it, I think, to the, to the big uh, movie. A disservice to the film or to the comic? Um, to the comic. That was harsh, Stuart. That was really harsh. 
I just uh, uh, Barber doesn't really seem to draw these comparisons accidentally, and it seems like he's. It seems like these are how he. This is how he would have done that character. Well, of course, uh, I think a couple of issues before this, there was uh, an overt movie reference with uh, Jazz getting torn in half. Which, no, his uh, arm turned t- torn off, which is uh, uh, more devastation. I, I, I thought he was. Well, they, they did. The, it felt like uh, a nod at the end of the first film, anyway. Sure. I think there might be something else in that issue that maybe made that seem uh, a bit more apparent. Though I can't uh, recall what it was now. Okay. Uh, some odd, uh, which my mind has gone blank on. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's mining uh, other aspects of the franchise anyway. This storyline, I think that's fair to say. Yes. Mm. Um, I mean, that's the thing. If you put those scenes end to end, it's not that bad. If just one, and this is always the problem with 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 uh, Simon Furman's writing as well. Just like, just spend an issue doing that, and then we have that. I mean, uh, my problem with Blackrock is that uh, Barbara writes him exactly the same way he wrote Megatron. Which is like he's standing there. Oh, I've got this epic, amazing plan. Uh, it may look like things that are happening, but I could not possibly have expected to happen. And uh, which are in fact against the ultimate aim of my plan. But I planned it all along for this to happen. At the very uh, least, so this storyline does subvert that. Uh, yeah, at the very least, that. like Blackrock, kind of like, oh, well, that really, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Uh, this, is, this is I'm kind of on a wing and a prayer here, guys. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, what did you think of a black rock stuff <laughs> I think my face throughout every issue where this conversation was happening was Spike's face pretty much <laughs> Grizzled well, Spike grew a beard over the it, course of the conversation it, well. to, towards the end I was just holding my head in my hands just going what, what more do you want me to say <laughs> 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 I'm not really sure what uh, Blackrock wanted from Spike either, because he's going, oh, I want you to find out what I really am, or what. And I'm thinking, well, why would Spike be able to help you do that? Yeah, because he's a GI Joe guy. Like you're in a building full of GI Joe people. He's he's a Transformers expert, and subconsciously, he always knew. Oh, that Blackrock was one of them. I guess. Oh, that's yeah. He's saying that right from the beginning, isn't it? Like, oh, you just you're throwing a lot in with those guys. You're a traitor. You're a traitor to your race. <laughs> you see, Spike, we should give you more. Him and his amazing hair growth ability, <laughs> which is a fortunate side effect of changing artists and one of them making him more suits because it just looks like conversations are going on for years at that point. But, <laughs> but I think he changed his hair color as well. He's I'm sure his hair. <laughs> a yeah, I have the issue. I have all the issues open here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna test this. I think in comparison to I mean, the issues before this, I'm sure you used to have darker coloured hair. Okay. Uh, um, and you had here. Which issue does it start on? Is it 44? Or 45? I'm on 45. When you get, does he lose the scar? I think he might lose the scar. Then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a plastic surgeon in. So hey, just you know, talk, carry on talking. We'll have a bit of work done. He does lose the scar. <laughs> Uh, it's it, it just becomes a bit more stylistic, I think. But he, I mean, he does. He looks like Joe uh, Action Joe Colton throughout. We don't have a change of artists, I guess. So this, I, I'm, I'm comparing Griffith to Griffith here. Oh, okay. Um, what are we on? So I'm comparing 48 to 45. Yeah, the Buster issue. Hmm. Anyway, let's uh, let's 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 uh, move on. The whole, obviously, 
the Black Rock Spike scene weighs it down because it's got to spin its heels up until Galvatron shows up. Yeah. Like, reading it all together, you get more of a sense of timeline, and there's barely any time has really passed. Really? Like, this all happens in an afternoon? Yeah. It, yeah, it feels much longer obviously because in, in you know in the real world it's been months that you've been reading this discussion uh, but, that's, uh, that's like dark cybertron where you had everybody uh if run up to that you would have i think like four issues that all were set over an afternoon where basically nothing happened uh except yeah. two characters having a fight in a room where nobody could die and nobody nobody could die but they carried on fighting so they had to fill up that space somehow I think that's been one of my problems with Robertson's case this season in that like reading arcs together reads much better definitely because the the time that passes is not quite as much as it feels like when you're reading it so as you're reading it one issue at a time you're just sort of going are we still there are we what what's happening <laughs> has nothing happened they've, they've gone from place A to place B and then back to A which I actually happens in this arc as well and sideswipe comments on it mm. is that we we could have just stayed on the bridge and this would have been better because all <laughs> you've done is go like from the bridge to the space bridge and then back again and that's taking you three issues to do mm. yes that, that is a big problem with the the, uh, the arc based stuff and even if it's set in a relatively short space of time as well the fact they're under heavy attack of all signs but nobody seems up until that last issue there's no sense of um, really losing any ground or gaining any ground. They're just swinging in a circle, managing to successfully dodge lots of lasers without getting too badly hurt, considering how good they are by everybody. It also hurts the characterization, because when, like, okay, in this afternoon, Skywarp has complained that he is stuck inside a computer or something um, about six or seven times. <laughs> He's really very annoyed about that. So I sympathise with that. The amount of times I have to repeat myself at work. It's just... <laughs> oh, we're, we're jumping all over the place here, but my favourite bit was Skywarp telling Sunwave to bugger off and stop telling him what to do and just goes on and does exactly what Galvatron wants him to do. Oh. Galvatron being the one who has actually kept him where he's kept him all this time. Oh... Yeah, I didn't really read it that way, of course. Poor Skywarp, always the stooge. Yeah, indeed. And, uh, the Decepticon side of things, I think, was one of the highlights of uh, this arc, actually. I enjoyed all the Soundwave stuff. Mm. Uh, as well, apart from the fact that he seems a bit gullible at the end there, when Galvatron, who has throughout gone, ooh, I like to blow stuff up, ooh, I like to smash things, ain't it grand? Yeah, he's been surprised when Galvatron's actual plan is to go and smash things and blow things up. He's like, well, what did you expect, Sandwave? I would have expected you to have some sort of cutting counter plan set up against him for his inevitable betrayal. But instead, you just have a go, oh, that's a bit of a twist. I wasn't expecting old crazy, I like to tell my human friends, allies, I'm going to crush them to death while standing next to them. Uh, but he turned out to be, I had to crush all the humans to death. What a twist. It's just, it's just the... the cla- I mean, that's consistent, at least, because Galvatron's whole thing is that he acts like a fool. People underestimate him. And then he stabs in the back. Like, that's his... That's his play. I mean, it's not Galvatron favorite so much of bothers me. Just the sad way you fell for it. For it. <laughs> but uh, that's a bit of a niggle, but generally I enjoyed all the sad wave stuff. 
and uh, uh, his little friendship with Cosmos, I, I liked uh, all that uh, that side of things. And uh, Barbara remembering Skybox as a character as well. Yeah, I like that. Though I would have, I don't know. Though you know, I, I do love Skybox, and I'm li- I like that he's in this. But uh, I thought he was kind of done with anything Decepticon-y from uh, from all the horrors. Uh, now he's quite happy to hang out with uh, the people who destroyed the atmosphere of Varus and Tralis, etc. Because um, they said that it'll be good. But I suppose that, you know, that, that kind of thing does happen in real life, doesn't it? He, well, he, st- he sticks with, with Soundwave, though, doesn't he? Where yeah. everyone else goes with Galvatron, at the very least, yeah. Yeah, and that's quite interesting. A sort of Cosmos, Skybite, Soundwave friendship team. I wasn't that... I, I don't know. Soundwave is... He appears a bit too naive in this one, I think. Mm. I think I think he's sidestepped a bit too easily. You know, he's he's been taken out there. He's in his commune all by himself. <laughs> and keeps talking about, like, you know, this peaceful you know utopian world where everybody gets to share everything and all that and he's just by himself not not seeing anything else that's happening around him which doesn't feel very sound wave at all no he's not you know he can't see through galvatron he can't see the fact that he's losing everybody else he can't see you know he's just like it catches him by complete surprise and that that doesn't really read like sound wave no he is the guy who sees everything but i don't know i feel that's um, deliberate. I, I think that's what makes it sad. Like you know, the thing which blinded him was hope. Well, what I don't get is what what the Decepticons are going to get out of all living on a space station. Does it look that big? It is big. They talk about the tracks. They've got tracks. Nice big race course, and they can make it bigger. I hope tracks. I was making a pun based on the name of the Transformer. Uh, uh, sorry. No, <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that's that's fine. I mean, it can be as, it can be as big as as it needs to be. You know, that's that's fine. Um, and you know, you can always make it bigger. This is just the starting point. This is just the rallying thing. You can build a whole. You can use the whole of the Jupiter system uh, to make Decepti bases. That's that's okay. Um, uh, yeah, I just thought it was something quite. I mean, I would have liked to have seen that. That's. I think that's where. That's why it was effective to me. Like, I yeah. Oh, that'd be cool, wouldn't it, to have a Decepticon colony around Jupiter? Um, I can get on board with that idea. So when it does fail, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just more with Soundwave. Like, oh, I mean, I know. So I know Galvatron was probably gonna mess it up, but. Oh. Well, what do we think actually happened there? Because there's this bit. A few issues back where uh, I think Barbara makes this commentary about what it was that attracted everyone to the Decepticons in the first place. And Needlenose being one of the ones who appear to be sympathetic to the cause um, as opposed to the violence or anything else. Mm. Um, and he completely loses track of that um, in this arc. All tracks. Indeed. <laughs> so, in the end, even even um, Rumble and Frenzy side with Galvatron. I mean, what happened there? Oh, how, how, how did Galvatron end up with everybody? Except Buzzsaw and Laserbeak. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Well, I guess Needle knows for all his, his, his talk, he seems to actually just 
he he doesn't he's not actually an idealist he mm. just goes with the biggest guy in the room mm. and that's brawl now and he doesn't see he's after he shoots tracks uh not to be confused with any other sort of tracks <laughs> he uh he does seem slightly out of it so like he's just going with the flow because he's not bothered what? anymore it's not just that he, he kicks tracks he's not just going with the flow he's like he's into it yeah, that's his point. He's like made his his choice there mm. by shooting him. No, no, what, was it, even what, um, it's Prowl that shoots him. It's Needle Nose that kicks him. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. But they, they both they, they don't kill him. That's, He's that's fine. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've quite liked Needle Nose in this. I thought he came off uh, generally pretty well uh, as just someone who doesn't really know what they're doing with disastrous results. And thankfully, he killed off the, the Autobot shuttle side of the plot as well when uh, he led the troops on there by just killing Sideswipe and taking the bridge. He's like, thank you, Needlelows. You've done a good thing there. Well, I mean, uh, uh, it's easy to forget, but if you kind of look back at the old issues, Needlenose is also, he's the guy who, like, hands everything to Megatron when Megatron comes back. So, yeah, I think not knowing what he's doing is 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 a pretty good read on him. And uh, he would li- I feel like he would like to have a cause but I, I, I think uh, yeah he's also the kind of guy who would, who would uh, kick his brother when he's down shot because he tried to point out that maybe he's he doesn't know what he's doing uh, you know it's uh, kind of a shame it's, he hasn't found out uh, what could have motivated him to really side with Galvatron as if he'd found out uh, that Sandwave was implicit in horrible death yeah yeah, that would be interesting. But having said about relationship, uh, that obvious connection to Sandwave, that it's surprising that hasn't been used. Actually, it's... I suppose I suppose that's Bob has got that in his back pocket. It, that can still come into play, can't it? Yeah, no, I think you have this impact. I mean, oh, you killed my horrible. Well, you left my commune. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Now would have been the time to bring it out, wouldn't it? Generally, I thought that, that was a stronger bit of the arc. Uh, the, the other aspect of the storyline, of course, is Optimus Prime's uh, continuing quests and discovering. Yeah, what did we all think of that? This was my that was my favourite bit, actually, uh, just as a through line. And that starts, uh, yeah, kind of the, the as soon as the Camions come and start talking about the the divinity of the Primes. It kind of it's a nice antidote to the ancient aliens shtick and the quoting of the covenant of primus uh with gb blackrock because uh yeah prime light isn't on board with this nonsense and um but then he realizes that he doesn't have to be that he's he kind of rediscovers the fact that you know people are looking they they want him to be this even if he isn't i think they suffered from again from a little bit of paddy that he goes around asking people who he needs to talk to about this and he goes through about three different groups of people uh, before we get to the ones he actually needs to talk to uh, when he finds old uh, Velocitron out in the desert. <laughs> and I didn't really understand any of that scene where she was using her gravity powers against him, going, well, I want the Matrix, but I'm not going to have a Matrix right now because of a thing. So he said, I'm going to follow you and do exactly what you say, but I clearly don't actually like you very much. Yeah, that is sort of setting up a conflict for later but it, yeah the story does the plot demands that uh, uh, they yeah they work together and uh, she acts as his big bodyguard 
but I don't know. I quite like it. I quite, I quite like the um, the take on Velocitron. I mean, it, on Victorion. Um, she oh, Victorion. She's something genuinely new uh, to the story, as far as uh, to my eye. Uh, Marion, what do you reckon of the the torchbearers? I'm not sure yet. I, I don't think I've seen enough of them to make anything of them. They they kind of you know like talking riddles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait and see. I guess their function here is just to goad Prime into becoming Space Pope again. He's he's being a bit himself here, isn't he? A bit of a oh, I don't know what to do. Please tell me what to do. And that's not very appealing. Um, I'm always very bored when Prime is in that mode. I think you've hit on something uh, very true there, actually. Yeah, but had it occurred to me because I, this felt like this should have been dealt with by the end of Dark Cybertron when he took the name back. Um, and he goes, oh, I'm Optimus Prime. Screw all this self doubt. I'm awesome. And but, I was like, yeah, I'm not so awesome. But oh, am yeah. I? Am I Optimus Prime? Am I he, really? <laughs> he's coming up to it. He, he accepts the title as a title at the end of Dark Cybertron. And now he's trying to sort of figure out what more that title is to other people, I guess. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. But one really minor thing I'll mention that I thought was a bit odd is that when he's doing the lists of things that the Matrix is supposed, allegedly supposed to do, uh, he accuses it being called the Creation Matrix, as if that's... But he says it in a way, it's like, oh, my, the, <laughs> the Creation Matrix. Uh, sort of a disbelieving sort of a way, even though we know from back in Chaos Theory that when Ratchet looked after the Matrix for like 10 minutes, he was able to heal people with it. So he does have his magic life-giving properties. That's a quantifiably proven thing. It's responsible for creating every constructed called Cybertronian. The question is, yeah. does, does Prime know that? I suppose we did too busy moping uh, to catch up on anything as we found out in that sort of ways. <laughs> that, that, that bit in Chaos Theory really does seem to have been kind of uh, yeah, swept under the rug a bit because... Uh, you do, you know, you you really don't want to make the Matrix too powerful. The fact if it can just heal people, you're left in a Christmas special kind of situation. Like, well, why don't we just heal everyone all the time? Well, they have emptied out the Matrix. So it's oh yeah. Hope you did sideswipe any good. Yes, sideswipe. He doesn't really have much of an arc, but he definitely has an ending. Are we sure he's dead then? He's probably not dead, is he? Well, it's easy to be cynical about this now because yeah, a character being shot repeatedly <laughs> by a whole bunch of people. Oh man, but he, he survived Revelation. He has to make it. <laughs> yeah, he punched all those dead universes to death. Um, the guys who were so powerful that they were sent to pick up the ore. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have any attachment to Sideswipe. I thought it was a pretty brutal scene. Um, I approve. I guess that's all we have to say about that. (laughs) 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 So, what what do we think about Prime's now and forever war is over, now let's fight? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I, so I, I guess this is the reason why so much of this arc is extended. The annexing of Earth, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I love it. I think it's a great idea. Uh, can you two hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Did you even notice I was gone? Oh, I, you were being silent. Yeah, that's always me. I could have died of a heart attack or something. <laughs> I finished 
like a wonderful rant about uh, Sarconis. And it was beautiful. It had the poetry and illusions and... Uh, <laughs> what, uh, what was the rant about? Uh, I was comparing him uh, to Sideswipe and both getting shot up, getting better almost immediately. Let, let's save that bit for when we do more limits here. Yeah. Uh, sorry, but I, I man. But you were talking about the Annex of Earthfair, Tom. So yeah, we were talking about, on, about the Annex of Earth. Yeah, I think I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, again, I think that's something actually genuinely new. Uh, it, it's something that it's sort of hinted at with uh, in, in Transformers the movie. Uh, that's the only thing I can tie it to. The idea that they've, they've got this sort of alliance going on. But I think the the setup of the Council of Worlds and putting Earth in on that. Yeah, I, I think that's quite an exciting idea. Uh, it, it also sidestepped this whole weird uh, status quo that Stuart and I spoke about in, in the last podcast of like, so what, Earth's been invaded by aliens, but it's pretty much the same and, and it's all fine. We've still got Apple launch products and we've still got, it's it still well, still looks like the world. We did talk about our other podcast. We talked about it after we recorded. Oh, okay. Well, in the deleted oh, scenes. There perfectly well, uh, but I think the analogy I made uh, at the time, uh, which I will repeat again, was on quite like this, is uh, the trailer for Independence Day 2 suggests years after massive alien invasion and all the stuff that would have happened differently in that 20 years. Uh, it's sort of weird, but it's quite silly, like big blockbuster film. Uh, but its sequel is putting a bit more thought into that. Than pretty much any science fiction franchise that regularly deals with alien invasions uh, that I can think of. Yeah, definitely. Um, they're, they're, yeah, they always kind of put things back in the box, even though uh, the box would be destroyed. Uh, so I think I think, I think think uh, th- this is, I hope, th- the way this looks like, with that image on the final page of 49, this looks like, yes, okay, we're gonna do, we're gonna do this story. And after five, made a flag. You made a flag? Where do you, where do you get that flag? I don't have that flag on him all the time. Just waiting for the moment. I always have his flag on me. <laughs> I think the Enigma like, combination can make flags. I think that's among its its <laughs> its party tricks. <laughs> you know, obviously, Alexi things always works out well anyway. I'm sure it's uh, <laughs> him doing the invasion of Poland will uh, not end badly for anyone. <laughs> um... Yeah, well, uh, yeah, uh, that, that's good. I want it to end badly because that will be interesting. You don't want like ten issues people being terribly nice to one another. <laughs> uh, we've got one major thing to talk about, which we haven't uh, yet, and that is the Buster Doc issue. It's a weird thing to do with the middle of a storyline because it, yeah. well, it might again dragging things out. They, they could have had the Autobots escape from that hole in about a page. <laughs> they get on with the, the actual stuff. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you think of it? Marion? Um, it was cute. Everything was getting very serious, so I kind of enjoyed it. I'm not... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It was okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, a huge buster, a huge dog fan, but I think it was done very well uh, with the different points of view on the, you know, the art and the colours and... There's a couple of things about it that annoyed me, but I'm not going to dwell on them too much. Come what annoyed you? Let's, let's tease a little bit out of it. <laughs> um, I think it was a bit of a... Really, does it... I mean, 
you want to enjoy the story, but really it kind of takes you out of it a little bit, of thinking about, well, does it really make any sense, this thing that I'm reading? <laughs> or do I just really want to like it, and therefore I'm trying really hard to believe in it? It was another Christmas special in a way, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh... I liked it, the artistic style, and the different uh, perspectives as we went back and forth. Uh, I quite enjoyed that, uh, how they were portrayed. There were some nice gags in there. Uh, I'm now getting to the point where I'm thinking Thundercracker might be too stupid to actually live. <laughs> I'm not sure how he functions day to day. He's, he's regressed that much. Yes, there, there was that. There was that scene where he's uh, where Doc is showing the holograms or what is it I don't know Thundercracker has been betrayed as um, betrayed uh, portrayed as pretty incompetent I think in in uh, Roberts in Disguise on the whole which is uh, oh, sure. he's just been more uh, flannerised as it goes on it's sort of a, I imagine it's quite hard to read the end of All Hail Megatron when he makes that big noble uh, gesture <laughs> out of nowhere <laughs> with, uh, uh, to picture it as this character's <laughs> <laughs> Local nut job at it again. This one, the crack, I would never have found that nuclear missile. Why is it gone? What's going on? Oh. I love this issue. I think this is one of the best bits about this arc. And this, that, is, yes. this is totally my jam. Uh. <laughs> The, the the comics gymnastics with the different points of view I thought was really well put together. I think the fact that you had to read it a few times to sort of piece together exactly what these people are saying to each other. I mean, the whole... Thundercracker comes across whole, so stupid because the, sort of the whole theme of this issue, the thing which it's, it's sort of playing on, is that communication is difficult um, and that you have... Really, it's, it's, it's like a puzzle issue where each character can say different things but nobody can really understand they can't totally understand each other and they have to find a way to communicate i and for the record i i really i find buster and doc to be really tiresome so uh uh i think this was a good utilization and probably is the reason i think barbara might have been thinking about this issue for quite some time and this might be the entire reason for both these characters existing I think like with Doc, maybe, but Buster's been around for really uh, quite a long time now, hasn't he? So, uh, since the start of season two, is it? Uh, when do they go back to Thundercracker? Okay, I'll, I'll moderate my statement a bit. I think it's the reason why, why Buster's been uh, kept around for quite so long. I mean, there's a cute gag, but uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely it's, it's, worn, it's outworn its welcome. But I think this is this. I don't know, this seemed to me. I was like, oh, that's why we have these two characters able to be in this place, so that we can uh, <laughs> experiment with the comics form. Uh, yeah, of course, the idea of a, a robot and a dog solving crime together—that's basically one of the Nickelodeon screenplays. <laughs> <laughs> if only he'd been able to understand what was going on here. Oh, but I think what, what you, I get what you're saying there, um, Tom, but I think it's not really clicking for me because these characters have been talking over each other the whole season. Oh, okay, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll relent on that. That is, it is sort of a, a trope. But I guess, taking in, taking in isolation. What, why can't Thundercracker speak the drone language when, A, it seems all the Autobots 
can, and B, there are drones like this all throughout their, their, the base he's living in. If he wants to ask one of the drones on the... Uh, one of the squad drones to do something, does he have to get a translator in first, or...? Um, also, the fact he can speak dog. I think he's just lazy. <laughs> Is it also the... Um, uh, drones are not really people thing there. Doc is special. Yeah, yeah, but Thunder Gregor doesn't think so. You kind of think the Decepticons would be more into that idea of. Yeah, uh... mm, there was some commentary on this from Soundwave, which jarred with me quite a lot mm. because um, that issue, the first encounter I think he has with Cosmos, uh, which is when Cosmos decides that he's not really gonna take Soundwave's side on this, is when Soundwave talks down about drones. And, and humans, right? Yeah, and and that was really jarring at the time. Out of all out of all Decepticons, I wouldn't have thought Sandpoint would have said that. It does make sense because uh, you do have ideological movements and died in the wood, died died in the wool. Uh, you know, extremists uh, who, who very much live the ideology of that movement who do have massive cognitive blind spots hmm. uh, about hypocrisies. So yeah, you, you would kind of think that logically Soundwave would be would be okay with, with, with humans or even considering humans to be people especially now he's rejected uh, Megatron as, as you know someone who, who went took it all too far but I don't know that is how what is what people are like mm. well if not people drones yeah <laughs> yeah uh, if, you know if there's still that distinction going on about between technological and biological hmm that seems to be beyond Decepticons. Um, at the very least, you would have thought he'd be more open to drones being um, sentient, but oh well. Yeah, especially because uh, you know, over in Morin meets the eye, you say that some people would think of Ravage as a drone. Exactly. Mm. I think uh, my problem with Doc uh, specifically is, I mean, this is slightly unfair because I think Doc might predate him, but for uh, two ongoings. Robot in disguise, you have this uh, drone who is a mute, menial servant. Nobody looks down upon, but actually he's a thinking, intelligent being who can help them out. And over in Morva Meets the Eye, you have Ted, who's a mute, menial servant that everybody looks down upon, but actually he's an intelligent, sensitive guy who could be one of a team if they just let him. And it feels like it's covering similar, same sort of ground, but Morva Meets the Eye did it better and in a more impressive way. I was definitely more interested to say, while stock is basically there, as you say, sort of, for the gag of this issue's work. Yeah, and 10 has got a quite interesting arresting design, uh, which is evocative because it, it used to be a villain, and uh, Doc is uh, a dumb-looking R2-D2. He looks like one of those robots from a black hole. Oh, yeah, he does, doesn't he? The film, but not an actual black hole. I know, yeah, I, I got that one. <laughs> Are you a black hole fan, Marion? I have no idea what you're talking about. So, yeah, you can't win them all. Uh, Stuart, what's your favourite bit of this arc, which, as we have established, is a bit of a mixed bag? Well, thank you for asking, Tom. A bit I particularly like is uh, when the Decepticon got cutted half by the Space Bridge. Uh, we all Jack just went, oh, who'll be fine? That's one of my favourite moments, Earthy. And he probably will be, uh, yeah, they'll uh, get the creation matrix out on him or something like that. It'll be all it'll be good. <laughs> Marion? Um, oh, God. I don't know if I can pick one. Uh, I do enjoy Starscream talking to Ghost B quite a lot. 
My favorite horrible moment, and this is really bad, is when Spike tells Patrick you need psychological help, and he says, you're half right. Well, you're two-thirds right. <laughs> I completely forgot about that bit. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good gag. Um, well, Think about it, but that guy who I've half, maybe that was Battle Trap. Uh, but get the enigma of duocons out. Uh, battle oh. Trap, that'd be secret duocon RG. <laughs> no, no gimmick left unturned. Uh, my my favourite single bit is uh, the bit in 46 where Jazz is in the uh, the nasty fluid and uh, he, he the front of his chest melts away, exposing his spark, and he starts screaming. Uh, I think that's an incredibly effective, creepy as uh, sequence. But sadly, next time you see him... He's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I think if we just never seen jazz again now, I think that would uh, that that would have been um, that would made me love this whole arc. Like, whoa, they just melted jazz in goo. Yeah, um, it's uh, Cup had shaky speech bubbles, eh? But uh, maybe because he's just come out of sins of records. <laughs> yeah, I love how they turn up. Just like, hey, where are you guys? Don't worry, <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> it's kind of a shame this is uh, set so firmly set after scenes because uh, it does remove any element of risk to uh, Cup or RC you won't be drastically effective them during scenes because we have to fit right back into this storyline as if nothing has happened to them <laughs> uh, yeah I mean it's it's a sacrifice when you've got to play with others toys but um, uh, it's, it's, it's one I can take in, in my stride Yes, so, Conquerors mm, might lead somewhere interesting, but uh, took a hell of a long time to get there, and uh, maybe lost a few people along the way. Yeah, it, it didn't uh, quite manage to conquer me. Oh! Marion, are you looking forward to All Hell Optimus? Uh, sadly, no, uh, mm-hmm. because I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not a fan of Earth-based stories so far. But I am looking forward to Till All I One, so all the new one. series... Oh, yes. I'd forgotten about uh, that, yeah. That's what visits. Uh, no, it's March, isn't it? Mm, I think so. Okay. I am looking... Oh, sorry, Stuart, are you looking forward to uh, All Hell Optimus? Uh, well, the sort of quality improvement of that last issue, this suggests the comic's getting back on track. All tracks. Uh, but uh, I'm not too keen on the idea. I'm not a fan of All Hail Megatrons or something that's... Uh, Treated that as a like, oh let's do a a, a tribute act callback evo- evocation of all hail Megatron uh, does not appeal to me because it started from the assumption that all hail Megatron is good which is is not my starting premise uh, <laughs> so it's really a wait and see thing for me I think yeah okay um, well I guess I'm, I'm alone here yeah, I'm quite looking forward to all the help I think there's a lot of interesting ideas set up ready to fire. Again, I mean, I don't think this arc was successful. I think um, uh, it it had too many falters. But you know, there's gems in there. And again, as I, as I said at the beginning, that's kind of how I feel about this comic in general. As long as Optimus now he decided he's a guy who carries a flag because he's Optimus Prime. Uh, as long as he sticks about, and the next issue's not going, oh, do I need a flag? Am I a man who carries a flag? Am I Optimus Prime? People look up to me to carry this flag. What a burden. Maybe you should have borrowed one of the torchbearer's torches instead. <laughs> because we don't seem to be using them at the moment. So you could have come with a big fiery torch. 
<laughs> Give him something to do. Oh, dear Optimus. <laughs> um, I propose here while we're recording uh, that next, when next we three meet, uh, we do because uh, it was revealed today, perhaps that since the records is only going to pick up again in April. Mm-hmm. How about we do a first half of since the records? Yes, maybe. Okay. Well, uh, Stuart, closing thoughts on all this. Uh, closing thoughts are that if I were to compare this to a contemporary arc over more of a BTI, even though I think that more of a BTI arc has had some problems as well, I would say that's a more enjoyable so far. I would still wait on the last part of it. Uh, so uh, on that sort of basset average, uh, that's a point for more of a BTI and a no-score draw for Robots in Disguise. Mm. Marion? I think this season of Robots in Disguise has been not as good as the first one, in my opinion. Uh, it's still not a bad comic. There's a lot going on. It does have a lot of characters that I love in it. So I will, I'll stick with it and see what happens. I think, uh, I think you hit the, I think we're in, in pretty total agreement there. I think, um, the characterization in this has been really, really, really good, and it's kind of been the highlight. And I don't know, I'm quite happy just to sort of extract bits from it that I enjoy and just sort of, you know, you know hold them fondly. And I feel that there was there was a good, a random page sampling of this arc tends to bring up something quite something I enjoy, and so I'm I'm quite happy with it to be honest. I think if I were if I were going to be harsh and uh, I would say I think maybe John Barber is as a writer, not an editor. I think his editing, as I've said before, is still extremely good and uh, maintaining the high standard. But as a writer, maybe starting to run out of steam a bit, and I perhaps would prefer instead of having three ongoing books, if uh, Scott were just to take over the writing of this one, might be my preference. Uh, they let Barber focus on the editing. Okay, so you want to see someone fired for this? <laughs> Not fired, because he's still got a job <laughs> as of a book. I know as a comic creator, you're very concerned about their employment prospects, Tom. Yeah, he, he gets another paycheck for this. He gets another paycheck. That's food That's food for his children. That's nice. Where do they just write to get a paycheck for every Transformers comic, mate? <laughs> they probably make me feel bad. No, I think as an editor, he's probably on staff. So he probably gets one paycheck for everything he... I don't know, I'm making things up here. Uh, <laughs> just well, sounding authoritative. Time to shake things up a bit anyway would be uh, an idea. Or even just get away from the Earth stuff, uh, which hasn't worked as well as what he did in year one. Uh, go for a different direction. What that would be when uh, Taller One is looking to do the Cybertron stuff, I'm not sure, but I think uh, maybe sort of adopt the pose of a thinker and uh, jazz things up a bit. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, I can I can agree to that. I think it is time to shake things up. But I think that's exactly what this is doing. I think it's what this spends so, like the better part of a year saying that they're going to do. So yeah, I, they better do it. Yeah, well, on that uh, optimistic note, <laughs> where you have downloaded this from, there is a link to a uh, discussion thread at TFR Archive where you can have your thoughts. You can tweet me at Inflatable Dalek. Uh, Marion, you're on Twitter as well, yes? Yes, I am Mortar, that's double M-O-R-T-A-H. And uh, Tom is a special secret man on Twitter. 
I... He will read your tweets. Uh, yes, yes, I, I, I am a creature of shadow. Okay, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Marion. Thank you. Oh. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.